Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. We'll open it to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Continue our Sermon on the Mount series. I know we are entering the Advent season, but uh, we are wanting to continue to preach through this. And again, as always, it's God's Word, so we're going to let God's Word speak to us. We've been doing the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time, and we keep coming to the same principle, understanding, idea that the heart continues to be the focus. Uh, All the way back to the Beatitudes, the heart was the focus. It was the focus of... Um, to those who actually truly mourn that God will be that salvation. And then all the way through, it's talked about heart issues after heart issue after heart issue. Remember, Jesus is preaching this to believers. That's the first thing. And as we go through this passage and any other passage, I was thinking about it this week because it pertains a lot. When Jesus was doing this, he did it all in one consecutive order, okay? The, the chapters and the breakups and the verses and all that came much later when somebody decided, let's make it easier for people to read this and comprehend this and memorize this. And so this is one constant flow of information. Jesus isn't going uh, like I do often. Sometimes I forget that I need to uh, signal when I make a lane change on my thought process. There's times where I'm talking about something and then I jump over to something else like you knew that I was jumping over there. And I continue to talk with this bewildered look on the person's face. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not jumping from one thing to the other. It's a stream of thoughts here. And so it's important to get that there's a stream of thoughts because as we get farther into it, it all builds and goes together. Again, the Beatitudes are a reflection of a repentant believer and with the true changing of a true heart change that happens in Christ. And then he came to fulfill the law, and in him it is more than actions. Remember, they thought, we're pious, we're good, we have the right actions. And he says, you're not doing the right things. It's a heart issue. It's so much deeper. Murder, adultery, truthfulness, love for other people. It's so much deeper than did you fulfill this line of the law, but did you truly, in a right heart for God, do the right thing? And so he almost doubles down on these things. Remember, if you hate someone in your heart, you have committed murder. Okay, you're on your way to murder. If you have lust in your heart, you're on your way to adultery. You are committing adultery in your heart. And then how we treat the needy will be rightly reflected in a heart towards others. And the right heart will, will pray rightly. Remember, they, they, he shares the Lord's Prayer with them. And as he says these things, again, it's a guide. It's not this is what you have to say every time. But this is a guide for us. But a right heart will pray rightly. Yeah, there's times when we are in our prayer time and something tragic is happening. We've driven by car wrecks and immediately I'm, I'm praying for that person in that car wreck. So I don't have to go, wait, first I have to thank him and then I've got to. But if we're truly going to pray and have a depth of prayer in our prayer lives, we need to go to him rightly in our prayer lives. And so if we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to do any of these things, it's a right heart. It all boils down to the right heart. Again, you can do all the right things. You can have a prayer time. You can have a Bible reading. You can do all these other things. You can look very religious. You can accomplish everything on the list. You can come to Wednesday night church, Sunday morning church. Uh, If you're old school Baptist, Sunday night church. Uh, You can go to every bit of everything you could possibly do and be as religious as you want, and you are still, like the Pharisees, missing the point. And so because of that, we want to make sure we have a right heart in what we do. 
And why is it so hard for us to see our relationship with Christ as more than what we give him in our relationship? Again, I think we give him the leftovers. I think we give him what we feel convenient to give him, what we think we should give him so that I have enough left over. But it's a relationship instead that should change us. It's a relationship that should be deeper than that for us. It's a relationship that over time, as we pursue Christ, he makes and molds and changes us because he's working on our hearts. And God is so real. He's so relational. There's so many Christians, maybe even some of you sitting in this room, that it's not that for you. There's no depth. There's no love. There's no awe. No one who is in awe of God is ever bored with worshiping God. And if we're in relationship with him and in awe of him, our heart is for the things of him. I mean, we treat church oftentimes like a weekend hobby. The weekend hobby of, I I have hobbies. I have things I like to do. I'm not very good at many of them. But if I treat church like my golf game, which I think I've played three times this year, I'm still beating the Christeasters that will come on Christmas and Easter. But we treat it like a hobby. I treat Jesus and boil him down to, when I find time, I'll pull you out of the garage. And where is your heart? Do you seek first the kingdom of God in everything you do, your finances, your job, your family, everything you think about or want to do, do you seek first the kingdom of God? And do you desire his word and to worship and to pray? Do you fight to keep yourself in control while the true answer For your fight is in Christ. Where do you land? This whole thing is about the hearts and about seeking where we are in our heart towards Christ. And repentance and surrender are such a foreign concept. I'll do this in my own strength. Lord, spot me. There's nothing more entertaining than going to the Y while I'm dying on a treadmill trying to run and watching somebody lift a lot of weight thinking they can lift it on their own. And you know, maybe you haven't been to the Y, maybe you haven't watched people bench press way more than you know they can do, and you're just waiting. You're waiting. There was a guy, he had to weigh about 125 pounds. He had about 225 pounds on the bar this week, and I thought, Lord, send someone to help this poor man. He's not going to get it done. I actually was about to get off my treadmill when some bigger guy ran over there and made sure he didn't die but we think we're going to do it in our own strength and we'd ask the Lord to spot us instead of saying, Lord, I fully trust in you. You're the one who will do the work and I will follow after you with my whole heart. I will not pray and read the word. I have no time for this. It's too often the heart of too many believers. And if I looked at the amount of time you spent on Facebook or Instagram, that might actually have something to say about your time that you have to spend with the Lord. In our passage today, Christ is dealing with the hearts of what we treasure and our assurance of him in our anxiety. And so we're going to read the passage. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible, but it's going to be in Matthew 6. Uh, We will start in verse 19. The word of the Lord says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one, like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to come together. I pray, Lord, again, that you and you alone would speak, that your word would speak, that you are the only author of a changed life, and we can't underestimate the power of a changed life in you, Lord. I pray that you would do the work this morning and use this humble servant uh, to uh, only preach what it is that you would have for us to hear today. And it's uh, these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So you'll enjoy this. It's a two-point sermon. Yes. All right. <clears throat> but it's uh, pretty simple and straightforward, but it's such, something that I think all of us need to wrestle with and struggle through. The first point is, what do you treasure? What do you treasure? That's the very first thing that he gets up. Lay up treasures in heaven. But the question is more for you. What do you actually treasure? If you're going to lay up treasures in heaven, we have to understand what I actually value and put value into and then what I'm supposed to be putting value into instead. I was in a Bible study years ago. Uh, probably young, early married. May have had one kid possibly. Feels like a lifetime ago. Some of you older people are laughing at that thought. But we were in this Bible study, and this guy looks over and says, I don't have to, we were studying this passage, and he says, I don't have to worry about that. I have no money. And I thought, that's true. I also have no money. And we all started to kind of laugh and thought, this is true for all of us. The problem is, that was a really wrong sentiment. At the time, I thought, that's pretty wise, that's great, that's whatever. But do you know how many times I have wished for more money? Do you know how many more times I have hoped to receive more money or to get more money, or I plotted and thought, if I can do X number of jobs more on the side, I can get X number of dollars more. I don't know, maybe I'm the only person out there that thinks, if I would win the lottery, God, I could take care of myself, my family, and I could help so many other people. You have to play the lottery to win it, turns out. I don't, but the thing is, is I always think like, man, if I just had this, I could do more. 
And the thing is that God reminds me, I know your heart. That's not true of you. Money tends to be a heart issue for the believer and the unbeliever alike. We both struggle with it. Everybody struggles with it. I don't know, even people who have lots of money will even confess a lot of times they struggle with money. They struggle with what to do with it. They struggle with how much of an issue it is for them or what they spend it on. Poor people struggle with money because they wish they had more of it. They tend to wrestle with the idea of what can I do to get more of this money. And the whole thing becomes a heart issue because our hearts tend to bend towards money, which then leads to all the other earthly things that draws our attention. And so if you have it and you trust in it, though, if you have lots of money and you trust in your money, that will eventually spiritually kill you because your trust is in something that is fleeting and actually has no consideration for the eternal. And if you don't have money and you crave it, it will also kill you spiritually if your mind is set and focused on that as opposed to what we are supposed to be laying our treasures up in, which is in heaven. Again, I'm not saying having money is a bad thing. I just need to clear that real quick because we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. And if I don't say that, it's not bad to have money, but it's bad to have money that you spend on things that are not of the kingdom. If it's not for the purposes of what the Lord has, then what are you spending your money on? And what you're doing with that can can potentially become an issue in your life. I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it can potentially, because Christ knew. Jesus actually talks about this a lot. He knew the treasures in our life would be stumbling blocks for us. In fact, if you don't know, Jesus talked about money or possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell. You would think that he would talk about heaven a lot, and maybe because we don't want to go to hell, he would talk about hell a lot, but guess what? Because he knew the heart of man, he understood one of the quickest ways for men's hearts to stumble is through possessions, wealth, resources, money. I mean, he tells the one guy, what can I do? I followed all the commandments. Go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. And he left sad because he had much. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go to heaven. Man who built larger storehouses because he was going to store more of his wealth. And he says, this night your life is required of you. He looks at the lady throwing the little bit that she had into the coffer and says, look at her, she gave everything that she had. Every story, every parable, every time Jesus points out money, he's pointing to the heart, right? Go and sell all your possessions. It wasn't about selling the possessions. He knew his heart. This guy was telling him he had kept the law, but God knew in his heart that he did not truly trust in God, but he trusted in his money. The guy that built the more storehouses, he was building for his security, and Christ knew that. The woman who put everything she had in the thing, he also knew her heart as well, saying, look what she's given. She's given far more than anyone else. And so we have all these things that are heart issues in each of these instances. And if he spoke to us today, he would probably be covering our houses, our cars, our retirement plans. I think a lot of us really, really work hard to get to our retirement plans and get to our retirement years thinking, I'm going to retire and then I'm going to do what I want. If we had kingdom mindset of our treasures and our retirement, we would retire to do more for Christ. We would retire with an intentionality to live in such a way that glorifies Him above all things. Our retirement plan would be to cross the finish line exhausted for the Lord, and He would say, well done, good and faithful servant, not play more golf, buy a second house, whatever it is that you're into. Scripture throughout the New Testament over and over again talks about 
not building wealth, not finding our goods and resources to be our sustaining part of our life. But it says instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven is where Jesus goes immediately. He says, lay up treasures in heaven. Lay them up because in this place, there is no ending to those treasures. We lay up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes, by investing in God's people, by investing in people and loving people well, by diving into a lost and dying world and saying, I'm going to serve until the end of me to glorify God and those will be laid up in heaven. We store up treasures by worshiping God, by growing in knowledge and grace and love for God. And some of the poorest people I've known laid up more treasure in heaven in their lifetime than some of the other people that I've ever known. I've talked about her before, but we called her Crazy Aunt Betty. Uh, But Crazy Aunt Betty was the most humble servant I've ever known, besides my grandpa. She served anonymously. She gave away. She had nothing But she gave it away to everybody that she could possibly think needed more than her. Her heart was always for someone else. Her heart was always for the kingdom. Her heart was always for the Lord. I mean, we would see Jehovah's Witnesses walk up to her door and be like, you're going to get saved. Because she loved Jesus and nothing else. She gave her life away to raise kids that were not her own. And watch them walk away from her and treat her horribly. And yet she loved them and prayed for them and cared for them and did everything she could for them. That woman stored up treasures in heaven. And I'm going to tell you right now, she probably didn't even care. She probably walked into heaven, saw her Lord and Savior, and worshipped and never thought once about anything that she may have gained for herself. Our homes are filled with things, but not people. Radical hospitality would be amazing if we decided as believers, I'm going to win my street for the Lord. I'm going to use my house for purposes beyond myself because I'm going to glorify Him with what I have. What are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with the things that the Lord has given you? We financially store up treasures in heavens by using our money for kingdom causes, by giving to the church, giving to missions, giving to the poor, giving to ministries that serve and care for others. And we do these things by also giving our time, giving our talent, serving. And then my challenge to you, especially men in the room, how are you discipling your family in these areas? Do you take your kids with you to serve the poor? Do you take your kids with you to serve in the church? Do you take your kids with you to serve in ministries and to care for other people or to walk across the street and to love on a neighbor and to come alongside someone? Are you discipling other people with how you're living or would you rather hide how you've done because it would definitely not disciple anyone at all? There's been times in my life where I haven't. There's been times in my life where I'm like, man, I'm doing this really, really well. I took my kids with me to go help somebody that really, really was in need in a really bad area of Wichita. And for me, I don't really think about it because the worst area in Wichita doesn't really compare much to Kansas City. And so I kind of go into places during the day um, where I think, okay, these places need help. And I took my kids with me, two of them. And when we left, they were petrified. Like they were so scared and I didn't even realize how scared they were. I thought it was funny that the guy across the street was yelling things at us. They were scared. That was a great opportunity, though, for them to be like, why are we here? Why are we here? This place is scary because they needed us. They didn't need us. They need the Lord. 
but God can use us in this situation. And then there's other times where God lays it out right in front of me, sets it on a tee, and I forget to completely even swing. But how are you discipling? How are you discipling others, and how are you discipling your family, and how are you pursuing the things that lay up treasures in heaven? And it's not out of compulsion, but joy for the Lord. I love to serve. I love to care for people and to come alongside people because the Lord has put that joy into my heart. But he goes immediately to verses 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart, there your emotion, there your reason, there your will, there your desire will be also. I'm going to almost guarantee you that if we went around the room, most of you have that verse underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Has it highlighted your life ever, though? Has it highlighted your life to where you say, for where my treasure is, that's my heart, and my heart is for the Lord. My treasure is in the Lord and the things of the Lord. Your treasure may be different than mine in some ways, but is it for the Lord? Is it any resource that we give more time and talent and effort to? Do I give more time and talent and effort to the things in which I can accumulate, or do I give it to the Lord? All earthly treasure is going to go away. All of it. There is absolutely no way that your bank account or your house or your car will appear in heaven. There's a great chance that your neighbor may or may not. So if our treasure is of the Lord, we will treasure the things of the Lord and we will live a life in which we give away the things that God has given us and we live in such a way that we desire to use those things to reach the lost for the Lord because we are to build up things for eternity. I would much rather see my neighbor Jeff in heaven than anything else. I want to see him there. God has placed me across the street and I'm going to reach him as much as I can and God will do the work if he's going to save Jeff but I pray that I see that happen. When Jesus then addresses the eye, it seems kind of like a flip or weird spot in the topic because we get to verse 22 and there's this quick thing about an eye and then he goes right back to money in verse 24. But it's not. There's a reason Jesus addresses this. There's a reason that he goes immediately to the eye in the middle of his thoughts on money. Heart and eye can both refer to the inner person, life's direction, the way in which we're going, the way in which we're leading he is saying that the body finds direction both good and bad through the eyes. There's other verses that talk about this. And again, we, if your eye causes you to stumble, then pluck it out. We know that the eye can cause us to go one way or the other. And so he is saying that we need to serve God. If we desire to serve God, if our heart is to serve God, if we put our treasures into the Lord, our eyes will be filled with light. If our desire is for ourselves, if our desire is for anything that we can have, or if our desire is for our own wealth or pride or anything else, we will be filled with darkness. And make no mistake of it, the, Lord will, the, the world will see which one fills our eyes. They will see genuinely as well. That's the one thing about the world that's amazing, is they, they can spot a fake pretty fast. You go in and with your fake initiatives and your fake heart and your fake ways of trying to do things, and the world snuffs it out and pushes it away pretty quickly. That's why so many people look at Christians and say, why would I want to do that if that's who they are? And sadly, they don't have, they're not wrong. Because darkness in the eyes, and again, we're not talking about you become a dark heart or you lost your salvation, but a believer who does not put their hope and faith and trust and treasure in the Lord basically is doing the same actions. A good eye sees heaven as more valuable, while the bad eye sees earthly wealth as more valuable. 
The bad eye seeing earthly wealth as more valuable, this is something that has just radically changed my thinking on wealth here on earth, is that the thing that we pursue and desire and is the standard for all wealth, gold, is the thing we will walk on in heaven. It has no real value. You're going to walk on it. But we trace it and treasure it and want it here, and it's going to be burned up and gone. This will impact your decisions. This will impact your desire. This will impact your actions if you truly start to think about these things in this way. And then he finishes with, no one can serve two masters. What a powerful, powerful thing that Jesus covers here. No one can serve two masters. Who are you a slave to? No one is doing the bidding of money. I'm not walking around going, hey, $20 bill, what would you like me to do today for you? But when every thought that I have is, I have this debt, or I've got this thing, or I need this thing over here, or I have that over there. And again, it's not bad to look at something and go, that's a really nice car. There's some really nice cars out there. And it's not bad to have enough money to buy that car. But if that car is what gives you satisfaction day in and day out, that car is a stumbling block for you. House, I don't know, whatever your thing or vice might be. I appreciate what Gordon Dahl said. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Who would people in your life say your master is? The people that know you really, really well, whether they're a believer or not a believer, what would they say your master is if they were to assess your life and be honest with you? Would it be the Lord or would it be something else in your life? I mean, God's not a lackey for your business. He's not something you add to your statement or add to your whatever that you have. He's not secondary to your retirement. He's more valuable than your car, your house, your lake house, or whatever else. Devote yourself to an eternal purpose as opposed to these flimsy things that won't last. I mean, we worship on Sunday for maybe an hour or two if it's convenient. In 2000, there was an, actually an article written in 2000 that said, church worship of money could not be possibly worse than it is today. They showed in the statistic that on average, the average Christian, meaning that some gave more, some gave less, some gave none, whatever, the average tithe for the year was $650. That means that if we're going by 10%, which again, we've already had that conversation I don't think most people in 2000 are making $6,500 in a year. Fast forward to 2020, 21, that number has actually dropped to about $425 for the year. People literally believe that their money providing some sort of entertainment or some sort of resource or thing is far more valuable than giving back to the Lord what he has already given to you. And this isn't a give more money to the church thing. This is a heart thing, remember. This is a heart deal. If you literally get your paycheck and you think the Lord deserves none of this, or the Lord deserves, what do I got left today? You are missing the point of treasures in heaven. You're missing the point of what God has done for you and given to you. You're missing the point altogether. It's your heart issue. I can't change you. If I stand up here and say, give more money, 
You're going to hate me for saying give more money. But if you truly value and are in awe of the Lord and you love him with your entire heart, you're going to look at your paycheck and go, what have you done for me, Lord, that I can't even fathom all that you have given? I'm going to give back to you whatever it is that you and the Lord decide. That's on you and the Lord. But it's a heart issue. Check your heart. If money is your master, you're going to withhold your money and your resources, your things from the Lord. And money can easily and quickly become your God. It can easily and quickly become your God. We work all week to get what we can for ourselves. Then chase after other things to give value to. And is your relation to Christ a hobby? Is it a giving whenever I feel like giving? Is it, I'll put some effort in whenever I put some effort in. Or I'm, I'm going to go to church, but I'm really not going to do a whole lot to give value to my relationship with the Lord. I keep using it as an analogy, but if you've played golf with me, you know how bad I am. Guess when I practice golf? Tee box one through 18. Three times a year. Why am I not any good at this? Hmm. Why don't I... Why do I struggle with the Lord? Why do I struggle with my sin? Why do, I, why do I struggle with this deep, dark despair? Why do I struggle X, Y, Z, extrapolate it out however you want to? Because when do you go to the Lord? At 10.15 on a Sunday morning, and I'm, about, I'm done with him about the time that guy shuts up. Is the Lord your hobby? If you refuse to consider Christ with your money, time, talents, and resources, it means you're essentially telling God, I refuse to worship you in this way. I refuse to worship you this way, Lord. You cannot and will not serve two masters. It's not possible. And when you try to do it, you look like you're walking down the street holding the wife of your spouse while holding the wife of somebody else's spouse at the same time. You're not committed to either. You're sinful. You're wrong. You love the wrong things. You must understand who your master is. You cannot give equal parts to each and think you're in a good place. You will love one or you'll hate the other or vice versa. And to love Christ is to have life. To love money in this world is to hate Christ and to love darkness. What do you treasure? Ask yourself genuinely this week in your life, Lord, what have I treasured over you? And then take action to do something to change it. And Jesus goes on. He goes, so you can't serve two masters. And there's a reason why in verse 25, this is why I said, it's all one continuous thought. Jesus didn't go, sidebar, do not be anxious. He says, therefore. And in scripture reading, you guys know, what's the therefore, therefore? And so he goes into the, Next part, because he's just dealt with this, the money issue, the things that the people are wrestling with and whatever else. And he says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. The next title up there, I said, do not be overtaken by anxiety. Again, anxiety is rampant. I struggle with anxiety. The Lord knows I struggle with anxiety. The Lord has walked with me through my anxiety. There's so many people in this room that probably at some point have dealt with anxiety. So when we read this passage, don't take it as, do not be anxious about your life. Oh no, I struggle with anxiety. I'm terrible. Jesus is getting first in this passage, don't run off to other things, about specific things that we become anxious about based on the previous thought that he just had. But the thing is, is that 
He knows. The Bible knows. The Bible talks about these things. It walks through it. If our faith is in the things of this world, anxiety will reign. We will be overtaken by anxiety. It will reign in us. The Bible says, do not fear over 400 times. The Bible takes into account, though, our natural fears. When God says to uh, people, do not fear, he knows they're fearing right now. He knows there's anxiety. The disciples struggle with anxiety. Uh, Lord, uh, we're about to sink. If you could wake up and do something, that'd be great. They struggled all the time with anxiety. They struggled with it. The Lord's chosen people that he chose to walk with him on earth were a mess. So again, don't take this as, if I struggle with this thing, God has no use for me. In fact, if we humbly accept that we struggle and turn it over to him, he will use us mightily. The Bible does not encourage us to deny the existence or the effect of our anxiety on us. The Bible does tell us, though, what to do with our anxiety and to cast them to Christ. Jesus here is dealing with anxieties about basic things in life. Notice he's talking about, well, why are you worried about what you're going to eat or drink? You shouldn't worry about those things. Again, going back to the idea of you're worried about storing up treasures here on earth and having enough to have money and having enough to have food. We see all the way throughout Scripture that the disciples and Paul don't have anything, and yet God still provided over and over and over again. Did it mean that no hardships came their way? No. Paul was beaten and thrown in prison and shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and all kinds of stuff. The Lord provided every step of the way until the Lord took him home. And then he provided for his eternity because of his salvation in Christ. So don't think of, and then when he died in such a terrible way, then the Lord wasn't there to provide. The Lord provided. The Lord was there. Christ is addressing the issue of pursuing things like money and treasures in our pursuit. In those pursuits, we have anxiety. If you stress over money, right, at times, it produces in you anxiety. We focus on the worldly issues while forgetting our Father who never fails. You spend all your time worrying, scratching, clawing, trying to gain things, but you add nothing. Like it says in the passage, you can't add a day to your life, not even a single hour to your lifespan based on your worrying and your struggle. And Jesus is telling disciples to think properly. Remember, he's talking to believers. He's telling us. He's speaking to us here. Think properly about God and think properly about the situation. Your Lord has provided. Your Father feeds them. Your Father takes care of them. Yes, you have anxiety. We're not going to deny that. Yes, you're struggling with what's going on, but the Lord has taken care of you. Think rightly about the situation and think rightly about your Lord, and you will see that in that you are taken care of. Your loving Heavenly Father cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How much more does He care for you? He, doesn't, he cares for those things. He created each one of them. But how much more does he care for you? I know you have little faith. Do not be like the lost. Trust the Lord. In our passage that was read earlier, we are told to cast all of our anxieties on the Lord. The word cast there is not like lightly tossing or setting down. It literally in the, in the, in the original language is to chuck it, to throw to discard, to deposit, to do everything you can to make it go as far away as possible into something else and something else to absorb your issue. 
Literally the perfect definition for what we should do with our anxiety. To cast them, to throw them, to chuck them so they are absorbed into the one who can do something about them anyway. Casting your anxiety is humility. Because it says in, in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. In 1 Peter 5, sorry. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I have that in bold, underlined, and highlighted in my Bible, the last part especially, because he cares for you. The care of an eternal Lord is so much deeper than, you know what? I care about you. His is a deep, abiding, salvific care. And this act of casting, think about it this way. When you cast your anxieties, this is a decisive, energetic, trusting move by the believer towards their Lord. This is not a false bravado, but true humility and trust. It's humble to surrender and to turn your eyes to Jesus. We may not be able to deal with the nature or cause of our anxiety. You may have bad health. You may have something you've wrestled with your entire life or you've been dealing with for years. I know that feeling. It is exhausting and it is painful and it wears you out and I hate having to go through it. But it doesn't matter because in the midst of it, I found that the Lord is enough. Your job, your family may be a mess. There may be all sorts of issues that you can You're not able to deal with the nature or cause of your anxiety, but we can refuse by the help of God's Spirit to be burdened by these things. We're going to wrestle. We're going to struggle. We're going to have these things, but we don't need to be burdened by them in the power of the Lord. We can refuse to let our anxiety and stress steal our joy. Joy and happiness are not the same biblically. A joy in the Lord is an overwhelming sense of it may be bad, but you still have this. You have me in your hand. You're still holding me. You're still guiding me. I still trust you. So we can refuse to let our anxiety steal our joy and rob us of our peace. The peace of God is not found in the absence of anxiety. Know that. Believer, you're going to wrestle with things. But right in the middle of the storm, he is there. He is holding fast. We can hold fast to him. We can trust him. He knows our issues. He knows our struggles because Jesus is a friend like no other. He knows. He's felt lost. He's felt homelessness. He's felt hunger. He's felt thirst. He's felt betrayal. He's felt pain. He knows them because he was fully human, but he can do something about it because he's fully God. He cares for you. He is your heart's surgeon and your soul's friend. How can I know that or have that peace? That may be what you're asking. I hear you. I hear you, Pastor. I've read my Bible. I hear it. I don't know how to get there. The only way that I knew how to get there, and I didn't know how to get there, God brought me there, was to come to the end of yourself. Come to the end of yourself. Stop wrestling. Stop thinking that you provide the answers. I was reading an interesting article about this guy. Um, They were doing this story on the Himalayas. They were doing a story on Mount Everest and the Sherpas. They were interviewing the Sherpas, the people that like guide people up the mountain and they know which way to go. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen the path that these people have to take. Insane. Why? Why are you you doing this? 
But they're trying to go up the mountain, and the Sherpa leads them, and the Sherpa shows them the path, and the Sherpa says, now jump here and do this. Why does the Sherpa be the one that leads? Because they know, they've been there, they've seen it, they've actually walked it. They have a visual of what will happen if you go this way and if you go the right way. There was a story, though, that they were talking about in this article where the Sherpa were telling about this guy uh, from America, thank goodness, yes, who decided he was going to lead the Sherpas. Where do you think he is? Dead on a mountain. Why do we think that we're going to lead the Lord when he sees it? He knows it. He knows what happens if we go this direction to our death. And he knows what, goes, what happens if we go this direction in faith and trust because he knows the way. Why do we ever tell the eternal God which direction I would prefer to go? Just spot me doing it. When we know that we can't lift that weight. So this week I just was reading more in scripture about Mary and Martha. And I'll finish with this. Maybe you find yourself as a Martha. Maybe you're the one that wants to do all the work, keep working, and be upset that everyone else around is just resting at the Lord's feet. Stop being Martha. This world doesn't rotate faster or slower because you didn't get all your lists done. Stop being Martha because this world will not stop on a dime because you happen to let one of your plates or hats drop. Stop being Martha and thinking that in your holiness you're doing more than others while other people sit around and believing that for some reason you're storing up treasure in heaven when all you're doing is wearing yourself out. But be like Mary. Rest in the Lord like Mary. Build up treasures in heaven by doing the things that God has called you to do and stop wrestling in your anxiety and your doubts and trust in the Lord by sitting under him, reading his word, coming to the end of yourself. I'm done wrestling. I just need you to do the work. The next thing on your list doesn't matter if your soul is dry. You cannot fight your anxieties on a dry soul. It is only through the power of the Lord that that can be done. Let's pray. Lord, we know you care for us. We thank you, God, that you do care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who holds us fast. As we come to our time, Lord, of communion, I pray, God, that we would lay down our things that we are holding we would actually deal really with you. That if there are things in our lives that we are storing up for ourselves, that you would cut those things out of us, that you would make them very real to us. God, if we're wrestling with anxiety this morning and we're about to take the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would stop us in our tracks and we would firmly rest in you, God, that we would let that burden go, that while there still might be anxiousness about something, we know that we have one who can deal with our anxiousness and that we would rest in you.